I hate when this happens because now I feel like I have to force myself to be funny. And I feel like when I force myself to be funny, I'm not funny. Bold of you to assume you're funny in the first place. All right. <laughs> you <laughs> literally, you built the door. You went to Home Depot, you bought the wood, you sanded it down, and you built the door. And I simply put the knob in it and I walked right through it, okay? Not my fault that you- Did you, you consider that maybe I didn't put a doorknob in it because I didn't want you to open well, it? Well, I brought my own doorknob, so what the fuck is that? Okay, little misprepared, whatever. Welcome back to this other call review. I'm Madison and I'm Daya and today is part three of Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix chapters 17 through 24. Woo but before we dive into the chapters we're going to start with our spell and our character of the episode. Do you want to start us off? Yes ma'am I can. So today's character is Luna Lovegood. She is first mentioned in Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix she is a female witch who is described as straggly, witch, okay. Sure. Waist length, dirty blonde hair, which is interesting because in the movie she has like the super pale blonde, so I sometimes forget that she's actually like a dirty blonde. I like the characterization of her having like the white blonde over the dirty blonde. I think it really is more, I think it's more whimsical yeah. and interesting. I like it too. Um, pale eyebrows, protuberant, is that how you say that word? Yeah. Right? protuberant eyes that give her a constant look of surprise. I like it. Yep. She's a student at Hogwarts and her house is Ravenclaw. Um, her wand, it says that Luna lost her first wand after being kidnapped by Death Eaters during her sixth year at Hogwarts. Ollivander made her a second wand after she escaped. The, her related families include the Scamanders. Her skills and achievements are being a member of Dumbledore's army, having knowledge of unusual magical creatures, and fighting in the Battle of Hogwarts. And a magic fact is that Luna keeps her wand behind her ear for safekeeping. Cute. I love Luna. She's such a fun character. Um, The spell of the episode is Legilimens, which is used to delve into a target's mind. The etymology of this word is that in Latin, legiri means to read and mens means mind. So this one's actually... The Latin's actually useful here. Yeah. Um, the magic moment for the spell is that in Order of the Phoenix, Severus Snape uses this spell on Harry multiple times while t- trying to teach him occlumency. Snape presumably also used the spell non-verbally many times before, as suggested by Harry's feeling that Snape could read minds. Um, it is also noted that highly skilled legilimens can implant false visions into a person's mind, as shown in Order of the Phoenix when Voldemort tricks Harry into believing his godfather Sirius Black is in danger at the Department of Minis- or Mysteries. I've yeah. always wondered the legilimens, like, where that came from, because, I don't know, Latin, obviously, so mm-hmm. I always thought that was like, this must be one of the random ones, but no, that was spot on. Yeah, it really was. <laughs> Uh, jumping uh, back into the book now, uh, last we last uh, we left off, um, it was the DA kind of like interest meeting at the Hogshead, um, and so now we're starting uh, chapter 17. Um, Umbridge has posted an educational decree forbidding all student organizations, including the Quidditch teams, from meeting again until they receive her approval, and she defines the student organizations as groups of three or more. Which I thought was interesting, because, like, Harry, Ron, and Hermione are obviously a trio, so I'm like, 
when they just like hang out, does that count? As, you can't like, have any other friends. Thing? You can only have two friends at <laughs> like, one point in time. No more. Like I was like, that's an interesting number. But Harry and Ron are suspicious that Umbridge knows about their defense group, and Ron believes that like Zachariah Smith or Michael Corner is one of the snitches. And he tries, Ron tries up to run up to the girls' dormitories to tell Hermione, but as soon as he gets, like, two steps up, the entire staircase turns into a slide, and he slides all the way back down, which we discussed in our Gryffindor episode, um, why the slides do that. Boys are less trustworthy. If I were a boy, I would do this just for fun. <laughs> Again. Just, out of boredom. Just to see how far I can get, and then how far I can cartoon run <laughs> when it turns into a slide before sliding back down. I once read a fanfic where the Marauders trying to get into the girls' dorms, mm-hmm. like, they would step up, it turns into a slide, so what they would do is they would hold on to the handrail and then just, like, climb on the wall and, uh-huh. like, scooch their way up, which I thought was really funny. If they team up, you can have the girls at the top of the stairwell, like, on a mattress. The boys trigger the slide, they just mattress surf down the whole thing, but it's a whole slide. That would be so fun. Do you think it would work if, like, Hermione came downstairs and, like, Carry Levi him corp- up? No, like, Levi Corpus oh. run. Okay. <laughs> How strong do you think Hermione is? <laughs> I forgot there's magic for a second. I was like, yeah. I was wondering the same thing. I was like, if, you do, if she carries them, would it work? Okay, Levi Corpus, maybe. And then just, like, levy them up the stairs. Like, would that work? I guess now I'm also wondering if carrying them yes. would work. Lots know. of questions. But anyways, um, Hermione comes down and she explains that she put, like, a jinx on the paper and if anyone had snitched, then they would know because they would get, like, super acne on their face, which is just insane. I love that Hermione did this. She is just on top of it always. It's crafty. I respect it. It really is. Um, and then they run into Angelina who begs Harry to stop acting up or else she fears that they're not going to get permission to play Quidditch, which is super valid. I'm with Angelina on this. <laughs> Harry. Also, if they meet without her permission, they get expelled. Yeah. It's not like you ridiculous. get detention or whatever. You get full out expelled. Yeah, she's a tyrant. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And later that morning in History of Magic, Harry sees Hedwig in the window and her feathers are all ruffled. Her wing is like at an odd angle. She's just like, she looks like she's been through it. And... Harry's like, hmm, that's weird. So he lies that he doesn't feel well, and because Professor Benz is, like, super chill, he's like, yeah, man, go to the hospital wing, I guess. But he doesn't go to the hospital wing. He goes to see Professor Grubbly Plank, um, and then McGonagall's also there when he goes to see her, and Grubbly Plank is like, yeah, I'll fix Hedwig. Also, here's a little letter. That was to the leg. And the letter's from Sirius, and it just reads, today, same time, same place. McGonagall says that it might have been intercepted, and that's why Hedwig is, like, all beat up, um, and the trio is like, yeah, that makes sense, it probably was, so that's, like, suspicious, was it intercepted, we'll find out. And they're on their way to potions class, and Neville, like, lashes out on Malfoy because he makes a comment about St. Mungo's hospital, and Neville's, like, pissed because, you know, his parents are there, and Harry has to, like, hold him back, and he has to be, like, secretive about it because he's like, oh, he can't know that I know, but, like, Also, he, you know, wants to stand up for him because Malfoy's being a dick about it, but Neville doesn't know that he knows, so he's like, play it off, but good for Harry for stepping in. The part that pissed me off was Snape watches this whole thing, and then he takes away 10 points from Gryffindor, and I'm like, this man has the most awful timing, because Malfoy started this, but of course, he walks out when the Gryffindors are doing dumb shit. Yep. But whatever. Umbridge is sitting in on the potions lesson, and Snape is like, visibly irritated. He (laughs) hates this woman. Uh, she makes a comment about his syllabus, and then um, Snape says he's been teaching for 14 years, which means that he started the year before Harry came to Hogwarts, which means he was 22, which I know is, like, a normal age to be a teacher. Like, you know, uh, we have friends who just graduated that are going to be teachers at this age, mm-hmm. but that's still so weird to me. 
considering that, like, objectively, if he was a seventh year, right, when he started teaching, the kids that were first years when he was a seventh year, he would now be teaching them, which is just really weird to think about, no? Uh, uh uh-huh. Right? Like, they used to be classmates, and now he's their professor. Like, that's weird. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. But the important part about this scene um, is that we get the iconic, you applied first for the Fence Against the Dark Arts position, yes? And he's like, yes. And she's like, but you were unsuccessful. And he's like, obviously. Obviously. 10 out of 10. Perfect. The movie, I think, executed this perfectly. Really delivered on that one. (laughs) Really good. And Harry messes up his potion really badly because he's a snoop and he was very invested in what these two were discussing, like, back and forth. Mm-hmm. And he messes up so bad that Snape gives him a zero and then makes him write an essay describing where he get went wrong, in addition to all the homework that he already has. Which is annoying, but I get it. Yeah. yeah. Listen, I don't really like, like, Snape is not a good person, objectively, but this is so funny. <laughs> write me an essay on what you did wrong. Like, <laughs> here's where I failed. Like, yeah. that's something Tell me why do. you suck at potions right now right but like i feel like i've had to do this like maybe not as objectively as this but like i've had to do like test corrections like mm-hmm. i put c because but it was actually a you know yeah so it makes sense um and then harry's like Ugh, i really want to skip divination but hermione's like no you already skipped history of magic and he's like damn you're right i forgot there were rules where you apparently can only skip one class a day like i don't see what that had anything to do with it it was like so he didn't have so much to catch up on like he'll have to catch up on all the notes from history but if he skips, like, divination, too, then he has to catch up on those journals or whatever. I mean, yeah, but still, I'm like, dude, And he already has way too much skip work. if you want to skip. <laughs> um, and then Harry's like, Hermione, but you've left her class before. You hate her. And Hermione, I just thought that was really funny. She's like, I don't hate her. I just think she's a horrible teacher and an old hag. <laughs> Which, like, this is personal for Hermione. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. But Trelawney in class is super upset because Umbridge gave her, like, a really poor rating. And I actually kind of feel bad for her in this because, like... She's doing her best. Yeah, she's on probation is a rough too. Subject. Yeah, like You're on teacher probation. It's harsh. Um, and then we run it back into Angelina, who reveals that Umbridge still hasn't approved Gryffindor Quidditch team, and she's like pissed because the Slytherin team has already been approved. It's a little power trip. No comment about that. <laughs> it's a power trip on Umbridge's part. No, sure. it definitely is. And then later, Harry, Ron, and Hermione are in the common room. Everyone else is like gone to bed, and Sirius appears in the fire. And Sirius tells them that he knows about their secret data group, and he encourages them to keep meeting, but he also, like, shits on them, because he's like, you weren't secret enough. Mundungus was literally in the hog's head, like, he freaking saw you guys, like, let's do better than this. But then the reunion is cut short when Sirius sees a hand, which we later find out is Umbridge, like, groping through the flames, tried to grab him, and he was like, and he dips. Yeah. I think it's so funny that Mundungus was, like, the witch in the corner with the veil that they were like... That's, That's creepy. weird. And it was literally him because he's banned from Hogshead. That's so funny. <laughs> and that's where the chapter ends. And we start chapter 18 in Charms. They discuss what happened the night before while practicing the silencing charm. And Hermione comes up with this theory that Umbridge tipped off Filch about Harry ordering Dunbombs to have an excuse to read his mail, which explains a lot. Really smart. Um, and Angelina runs up excitedly to tell them they have permission to do Quidditch now and they have their first match in three weeks. But Umbridge didn't do this by herself. Um, Angelina had to go through McGonagall to go through Dumbledore to get their Quidditch team reinstated. And the time of their first practice, it's storming and pouring rain, but that doesn't stop Angelina from holding practice. She's really taking after Wood here. She's like, no rest. Um, 
And she actually has them all use impervious. Did that make you happy? Because the last yes. time you were so upset. I literally took a note. I'm like, this took way too long. They should have been doing this from the start. <laughs> yes. And they cut practice short, and afterward they're all drying off, and Harry's scar gives off a sharp pain. And then when he and Ron are alone, he tells them that Voldemort's mad because he wants something done, and it's not being done fast enough. Really ominous there. Tea. Um, Harry falls asleep in the common room while attempting to write his essay for Snape and is awoken by Dobby who is wearing almost all of Hermione's knitted clothes and is bringing him Hedwig back from Professor Grubbly Plank and he tells him that he has all the clothes because the other elves refuse to clean Gryffindor Tower and are actually insulted by the clothes that are hiding everywhere because they don't want to accidentally pick it up and free themselves yep. which we could have seen coming like they told her not to do that yeah um, and he tells Dobby that he needs a place to practice defense against the dark arts, and Dobby tells him about the removal requirement, which only shows up when someone has a real need for it and it is equipped for the Seeker's needs. And now Harry's kind of connecting the dots from the story that Dumbledore told him about the mysterious room of chamber pots that appeared to him when he needed a bathroom. Mm -hmm. And we found out about this back at the Yule Ball. Yeah, which is such a fun little, like clue that we don't know is a clue until now like these mm -hmm. are things like this that i really like about rereading that's like you pick up on them that like maybe you didn't the first time i'm like oh exactly it's a nice little callback yeah and they have their first um meeting cho suggests that their name be the defense association or the da for short but then Ginny suggests that the da should stand for dumbledore's army since that is what the ministry is afraid of and they all think that's funny so they decide to stick with it and they start off their meeting with Expelliarmus because, you know, that's Harry's go-to favorite spell. And the meeting is a success, and they're really excited to continue, which is great for them because they're not learning in Umbridge's class, class, so... For real. And then in Chapter 19, Harry's, like, constantly thinking about the defense... Uh, not the defense. What? Dumbledore's army. We just said this. And something that I just noticed is that he mentions that the DA's meetings aren't regular because they have to account for three different Quidditch team practices, which is a confirmation that there's not a single Slytherin in the DA, which even from the beginning, I always thought that was messed up. I was like, not a single one. There's not, not even a little first year that like maybe is completely innocent and has done nothing wrong in Slytherin, like not a single person. Well, I think that it, for first, if you're talking about first years, I feel like they might be too young to actually do the spells that they're practicing. But then when you get to the kids that are like their age that who would really benefit from these meetings, then they don't know who to trust. I know, but I'm still like not not a single, not one goddamn Slytherin. Like that's just housephobic to me. I'm like that's crazy. Not a single one. But Hermione uses this cool charm on these fake galleons, which originally tricked John. John, what am I saying? John. Today? So sorry. Hermione uses this cool charm on fake galleons, which originally tricked Ron, which is kind of sad. He thought it was, like, real money, but they're not. It's fake galleons that where the serial number usually is, she's made it so there's numbers that correspond to the date and times that they're going to have the next meeting, and then they, like, turn hot when they are changing, which she's a genius. Mm -hmm. um, it's called the Protean Charm, which is apparently a newt-level thing, and she got the idea from the Dark Marks, which... Again, she's literally so smart. We even get a mention that the Sorting Hat thought about putting her in Ravenclaw, but ultimately decided on Gryffindor. 
And then it's the first Quidditch match of the season. It's Gryffindor versus Slytherin. And Harry's really confident because they've never lost to Slytherin. And he has faith in Ron, which is good. He's like, he's not as consistent as Oliver. But when he saves it, it's really cool. I thought something that was funny was that he says that Ron was like falling off his broom with one arm. And then he kicked the quaffle out of the way from going into the goal. And it ended up going into the opponent's goal on the other side. Which I was like, that's so sick. But then Ron immediately is like, yeah, that was an accident. Yeah, I actually didn't mean to do that. Yeah. But on the morning of the match, Ron is really nervous, and Harry is, like, firing back solid insults at, like, the Slytherins that are, like, talking shit, but Ron just, like, cannot handle the heat. And then Luna comes up during lunch, and she's wearing, like, a lion's hat that, like, roars occasionally. So cool. Love I don't that know for how, her. I don't know how she made it, but I'm very impressed by it. Yeah. I'm so impressed. It's, it's really fun. I love that. And the Slytherin team is all wearing badges that read Weasley is our king, and they try to keep Ron from seeing them. And then from the stands, the Slytherins start singing a song with the same name, basically mocking Ron's skills as a keeper. So remember before when you were like, why don't they invite any Slytherins to the DA? I want you to think now about what's happening right here. Okay, first of all, let's not assume that every single Slytherin in the school is singing this. Well, I mean, it's pretty loud, so you're going to need most of them at the very least. How are you going to pick the one or two out of them that aren't going to be shitheads? Okay, on the off chance of sounding like a bitch, the song is catchy and Ron does suck. <laughs> oh, it's so mean though. There's no need to bully him. The, just for the sake of the podcast, the song is Weasley cannot save a thing. He cannot block a single ring. That's why Slytherin sing Weasley is our king. Weasley was born in a bin. He always lets the quaffle in. Weasley will make sure we win. Weasley is our king. Those are bars. <laughs> no, they're not. No, they're not. They're really not. It's a really bad song, but I still think it's a little funny. But it, obviously, Ron gets really embarrassed. He misses several shots, but fortunately, Harry ends up catching the snitch, and Gryffindor does win the match. It's like a super close call. Yeah, he doesn't block a single one. Yeah, no. So, <laughs> like I said, <laughs> he doesn't block a single one. I know. Um, after it, Malfoy and, you know, Crab Goyle, they start talking shit after. Um, but then when Malfoy kind of ups it up, like, a notch and starts shitting on the Weasleys' house, Harry being an orphan again, all of that, Harry and George leap at him, just completely foregoing wands. Like, they're like, we're doing this the muggle way. They start swinging. Harry <laughs> sucker punches him. Yeah. Granted, Malfoy didn't just insult Harry, like, for being an orphan, he specifically insulted his dead mother. Yeah. And Harry's like, nope, sucker punch right to the gut. Yeah, straight, like, throwing fists. And even Fred, like, is going to join, but he's being physically restrained by not one, not two, three people. I'll say it, that's hot. <laughs> that's sexy. He needed three people to hold him back. <laughs> not only three people, three athletes. <laughs> exactly. I was like, God. But of course, this stunt lands them in McGonagall's office, and she gives them each a week of detention. But then Umbridge appears, and she produces another decree from the Ministry that this time gives her authority over all punishments. And she did this kind of as a backlash for McGonagall going over her head, for the Gryffindor Quidditch team being put, um, like being put forward. McGonagall is of course livid. It even says she screams violently, violently, which I can't imagine McGonagall screaming violently. But unfortunately there's nothing she can do from stopping Umbridge from eventually banning Harry, George, and Fred, who again wasn't even technically involved in the fight, but like he was gonna. So they can never play Quidditch again. Uh, Umbridge literally confiscates their brooms. They're all devastated of course, but then later Hermione does 
try to cheer him up by telling them that Hagrid is back. Dun dun dun. The ban for life, I feel like is unnecessarily harsh. A. And then B, how's she gonna take their broom? That's their personal property. Yeah. How are you gonna take my broom? For what? The rest of my life? Please. Yeah. I don't think so. Not to mention their school broom, so like technically if they wanted to yeah. They could just use those. Like, or, obvious, hey, Angelina, let me borrow your broom. Like, it just obviously feels... Obviously, if they play in the, the match, you would know. So they're not going to do that. Yeah. But, I mean, why wouldn't they be able to have their broom? They can still fly around. Yeah, they no? just can't play on know. the team. No, it's definitely ridiculous, but yeah. she's dumb, so... So we start off chapter 20 with the trio quickly getting ready to go see Hagrid and squishing underneath this invisibility cloak. And Hagrid's face looks like he's lost, like, a really bad fight, which freaks them out. Um, but he tells them it's not that bad and invites them in for tea while slapping a slab of green raw meat, which he says is dragon meat, on his face. And he claims it helps with the stinging. Of all things. I mean, that's tracks. It's Hagrid. <laughs> oh, so gross. Um, he tells them about how he and Madame Maxime went to the mountains to meet with the giants. They gave the Gurg, which is the chief of the giants, who at this time is named Carcass, a branch of Gubrathian fire, which is everlasting fire, as a gift to gain his trust. This is, like, actually really advanced magic, and it takes, like, a really powerful wizard to make this. So, I mean, I personally would love that. It'd be really cool. Um, the second day, they give him a helmet, and Carcass seems to be interested in what they have to say, as well as some of the other giants who translate English to... Giant. Giant. Yeah, to giant language. Is that the biblically correct word? Yeah, okay. <laughs> this, yes. Um, again, they leave and a promise to return the next day with another gift, but in the middle of the night, Carcass was beheaded by Gogomath, who became who becomes the new Gurg. That's nice. Just the head in the river, I guess. I mean, that's pretty badass, and his name is cool, so, like, I'd follow him. Golgamath. You say you follow him? Yeah, like, if it was like, oh, he killed our guy, he's our new leader, I'd be like, yeah, all right, that was... Respect, I mean, yeah. I'd be like, fair enough. Okay. Um, they try to meet with this guy and give him the gift, but they end up having to use magic to escape because he's like, nah, I'm just kill you. And they hide out. They observe the giants meeting with Death Eaters, including McNair, which is how Hagrid knows that it's Death Eaters they're meeting with. Yeah. And they manage to convince some of these outcasted giants that are hiding in the outskirts that, you know, Dumbledore has their, like, best interest in mind, they should fight with their side, and then Golgamath's group finds them and kills them. So they really leave empty-handed. Like, they really didn't accomplish anything. And in the middle of this conversation, Umbridge shows up at Hagrid's cabin, which throws them all out of sorts, and she starts questioning him about the footsteps leading to the cabin, who he was talking to, where he was, like, really just digging in, and Hagrid's like, I don't know, dude, I'm just having tea... Like, this is my dog. Honestly. Um, and after she leaves, Hermione tells Hagrid to choose a safe, easy lesson. to um, So, like, Umbridge has no reason to mess with him. But Hagrid is confident in whatever he has planned. And she's like, nah, it's fine. And Hermione's stressed. <laughs> Hermione's so stressed. Like, Dude, please. Yes. And then on the way back to the castle, Hermione's determined not to repeat their previous mistake. So she used an obliteration charm to cover their footprints as they go. So that's pretty smart. I'm telling you, this entire book, Hermione's playing chess, and the rest of them are playing checkers. Mm -hmm. Like, it's incredible how smart she is. It's, yep. Oof. Uh, chapter 21, Hermione comes back the next morning. She was trying to help Hagrid with the lessons plans, but apparently he showed up 30 minutes late because the creature 
he was saving for the big surprise. Hermione's just, again, still very stressed, like we were just saying, because he won't tell her anything. But he leads the class into the forest, and ta-da, the demon horses with skeleton wings that Harry saw pulling the carriages at the beginning appear again. And Hagrid asks who can, like, see the creatures. And the people who can see the creatures are Harry, Neville, and a Slytherin boy who raised their hands. And then we also know that Luna can see them. Mm-hmm. So there's, like, a, a big fanon kind of widely accepted thing that that Slytherin boy is Theodore Knott. And that the reason he can see them is because he saw his mother be murdered by his father. Really tragic. Um, but that's like kind of like a little fanon thing, and I've chosen to accept that as canon, so in my head, Harry Neville, Theo. And then Luna, who saw her mother die as well. That's oof. But Hagrid explains that these creatures are called Thestrals, and they are visible only by those who have witnessed death. Again, that's a lot. And then Umbridge enters a class with her classic <laughs> fake cough, which is the worst I honestly it's so frustrating like even reading it she J.K. Rowling did good with that one it Mm -hmm. sucks but she starts doing this like really awful thing honestly where she starts writing these really mean notes about Hagrid's lesson but she says out loud what she's writing so rude it honestly has a lot less to do with the lesson and more like tearing apart his intelligence and his ability to speak yeah exactly um Hagrid like does a funny thing where he doesn't know where the (laughs) is coming from he's like what is that's true so that's funny and to his credit he's trying to push the lesson forward but umbridge she starts playing dumb like she doesn't know what thestrals are so hagrid starts miming them out like literally like oh big horses with wings and he does the motions but then umbridge thinks he's using the motions because he doesn't know words well enough so then every time she talks to him she starts miming things out like he's a two-year-old it's super insulting it really is And then she starts asking students questions during the class, which, like, bro, wait till after the class. You're interrupting this entire lesson. Hagrid is very confused. Hermione is angry on behalf of Hagrid to the point where she's in tears. And then Umbridge tries to put words in Neville's mouth about Hagrid being dumb. And Neville's like, no, I literally didn't say that. But she continues to be a fucking bitch. And then she does her classic, you'll get the results of this inspection in 10 days' time. Fucking hate her. Okay, lady. Hate her. And Hermione is, after class, she's upset that Umbridge was basically just being racist because Hagrid's a half-giant, and she mentions that she thinks the Thestrals were cool and that it was a good lesson, and she says, oh, I wish I could have seen them. And Harry, it's like, Harry, like, do you? Harry asks, like, quietly, and then she goes, oh, sorry, that was super insensitive, which honestly breaks my heart a little bit because me too. Like, I'm like, damn, if I was a kid who couldn't see them, that would suck. And then I read this, and I'm like, damn, I'm also being insensitive. Like, they... Yeah, it does suck to see, like, you have to see someone die. Oh, my heart. But Christmas is approaching now, and Harry, like, really wants to go for Christmas. He's like, bro, Quidditch is banned, um, Hagrid's pro- has, has probation, there's no Dumbledore's army meetings, like, there's no point in sticking around, Hermione's going away, Ron's going away, but then Ron's like, Harry, you're coming with me too, and he's like, I am? And he's like, yeah, mom told me, like, three weeks ago, which is great. Love the Weasleys, bringing in Harry like that as always. And so the last DA meeting before the semester is happening, and Tavi surprises Harry by decorating the Room of Requirements with Christmas decorations that have 100 ornaments that bubble out on 100 little glass spheres with Harry's face on them, and it says, have a Harry Christmas. Tavi is Harry's number one fan. He is. He is He's Harry's the president of the fan club. Fan. And Harry manages to take all of it down before anyone can come in, which is perfect timing, but I still think, I'm like, that's so cute. Tommy's really trying. 
And Angelina comes in and she tells him that she's chosen Ginny to replace Harry as a Gryffindor seeker, which, good for Ginny. And Harry decides that the lesson for this week meeting is just going to be a recap of everything that they've learned. So Neville's doing well, he's improved, everyone else is doing well, Harry's like really impressed. And when the lesson ends, Harry mentions that when they get back, they're going to start doing more serious stuff since everyone's starting to really move forward. Yeah, Patronus time. Whoop, whoop. And then Harry does that little thing where he like hangs back. He's like, oh, I left my jacket over there. Let me just go so get crazy. it. So crazy. It's only me and Cho. And so he's alone with Cho. And then Cho starts to cry because she <laughs> wonders if Cedric knew how to do all of this stuff. And Harry tells her like, yes, he did. He was very good at it. Otherwise, he wouldn't have been able to get as far as he did in the maze. And then Harry mentions that Cho looks really pretty when she's crying, which I just thought was weird. <laughs> at least it's in his head. Right, he doesn't, he doesn't say it out say loud. It. That saves him a little bit. A little bit. But then, then, he makes it a little worse. He has another bad thought that I didn't like, which is that her crying, like, bums him out, and he's like, damn, I wish she had just, like, said Merry Christmas and didn't, like, dump all this depressing <laughs> shit on me. And I'm like, dude, her boyfriend just <laughs> I was expecting a trauma <laughs> dump cry. today. But then she, like, would she, why would she do this? Why would she stand in the middle and just cry? Like, he, you and Harry do not have this kind of relationship. I know. And then she's the one who mentions, oh, look, there's mistletoe. Bro, you were sobbing about your boyfriend who got murdered five seconds ago. You still have, like, tear stains on your cheeks. What is going on right now? But they kiss anyway. This is such toxic behavior. <laughs> It's such toxic behavior. It's not good. And Harry returns to the common room, and he tells Ron and Hermione what happened. And this entire scene is just so funny, because Ron is like, how was it? And he's like, it was wet. And Ron's like, what? And he's like, well, because she was crying. And Ron's like, oh my god, were you that bad? You that bad of a kisser? He's like, well, maybe. It's so funny. And then Hermione's like, no, he isn't. And Ron's like, how would you know that? And then she's like... This is where she says, yeah, well, Cho just cries all the time. She always cries in class. She cries in the bathroom. She cries at lunch. She's, like, always crying about Cedric. And I was like, oh, my God, get this girl a therapist. Mm -hmm. (laughs) This is not okay. And then Ron says, you think a bit of kissing would cheer her up. And then Hermione says, you're the most insensitive wart I've ever had the misfortune to meet. This entire scene was just 10 out of 10. Yes. It was so funny. And the fact that Hermione has to sit there and pretty much explain that girls have multiple feelings. feelings. Yeah. They're like, so dumb. Yes, she has feeling. Like, she has feelings, guys. 15-year-old boys are so stupid. She's confused. And we find out that Hermione has been writing to Victor as well, and Ron gets pissy because, of course, he does. And they go back up, and Ron's like, what does Hermione even see in Crumb? And Harry's like, uh, besides the fact that he's older and an international Quidditch star. And Ron's like, yeah, besides that. <laughs> Dude, that, that's so enough. Good. <laughs> so good. That what else do you need? Enough. Yeah. <laughs> And then when Harry falls asleep, he starts having a nightmare. First, he's having, like, a little chill dream, like, you know, the normal, ah, everything goes wrong. But then he starts dreaming that his body feels, like, smooth and powerful, and he's a snake, and he's slithering towards a man who's guarding a door. And then Harry, like, rears from the floor, and he strikes and plunges his fangs into the man's neck. And then he wakes up, and he's screaming, and Ron's like, Harry, what the fuck? And then he's like, your dad's been attacked. And Ron's like, what the fuck is wrong with you? And then Neville's like, oh my god. Don't forget the vomiting. Right, he vomits. Runs to get McGonagall. McGonagall bursts in and he's like, Ron's dad's been attacked. And then she's like, oh my god, we have to go to Dumbledore. And then this is the end of chapter. I'm so upset sometimes that this isn't a visual podcast. Not because I want them to see me, but I feel like they needed to see the, the theater 
that just occurred. I did put in on this a whole room. production. A whole production. I became the saint. Yes. Like Harry, if as one would say, I. I don't know where I was going with that. Yeah, <laughs> I was waiting. You snaked. You embodied the snake. I don't know. That's. You were slithering. You were snaking. I was. Yes. Y- yep. <laughs> For sure. Um, anyway. So they get to Dumbledore's office and Harry tells him what happened and Dumbledore calmly asks how he viewed the scene which also there's not a lot of like um gusto or like um they're not I don't know what I'm trying to say there's like there's not a lot of like movement like they're not moving really quickly for this being such a big emergency right they're just like so Harry pour some a little bit of tea Tell me in vivid detail. Take as take as much time as you need. What happened? And I'm like, bro, get it together. Yeah. So Harry tells him that he saw it from the snake's POV, and so at this point, Umber's like, okay, is Arthur seriously injured? Incriminating. Yeah. And then he goes and he tells the portraits to like go alert some peeps. He's like, yeah, you guys know what to do. Get to your places. And so then Dumbledore pulls out some random little instrument. <laughs> he mutters to it like an insane old senile man. And sees little serpents of smoke and whatever, and they, like, split into two. Two little serpents of smoke, and he's like, okay, cool, and puts it back, without explaining anything. No, nothing. Sure. And then, when the little headmasters return to their portraits, we find out Arthur is now at St. Mungo's, and he looks pretty bad. So McGonagall goes to wake the other Weasley children. He sends Phineas to his other portrait in Grimald Place, which is the one who was talking to Harry back in the beginning, which is funny. Yeah. Um... And he's supposed to alert Sirius of what happened and tell him that the Weasleys and Harry will probably be um, going there to stay really quickly. Um, The other Weasley children arrive, and so does a single feather in the fireplace, which is the warning from Fox that, quote-unquote, she knows that they're out of bed and they need to move quickly, so Dumbledore quickly pulls out a port key to get them to Grimald Place. Which he just has on hand. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it makes sense that he would have it as, like, an emergency. emergency escape. Yeah. And as they're taking the port key, Harry makes eye contact with Dumbledore, and his scar, like, bursts into severe pain, and he feels overwhelming hatred, and, like, wants to bite Dumbledore. Yeah, that's me every day. (laughs) Fair enough. Yeah, fair enough. So, Harry thinks that he actually attacked Arthur, because he doesn't understand how these visions visions are working, so he is really vague with details when telling Fred, George, and Ginny what happened. And they all just kind of sit around and wait with Sirius until they hear from Molly, which the twins are especially pissed about. They're like, no, we're going to St. Mungo's now. And they're like, well, how would you explain that you got there before the authorities even knew what happened? Like, how would you know? Yeah. So while they're all sitting, a message appears in the fire from Molly saying that Arthur is still alive and she's going to St. Mungo's now, but they have to stay put. This isn't reassuring to them because it does sound like he's kind of teetering between life and death. Yeah. And they have to keep waiting until almost five in the morning when Molly returns and tells them Arthur's going to be fine and Bill's with him now. And at this news, Sirius calls for Creature to come so that they can make breakfast, but he doesn't answer the call. Um, and then they kind of just move past it, so like, whatever, he's probably hiding out somewhere. And Molly says that because of Arthur's condition, she wants to stay close, which will probably include Christmas. And Sirius is so excited. And he says, the more the merrier. I love him so much. Poor baby. And I just want him to be so happy and have the best Christmas ever because he's been sending so many Christmases in prison and he deserves a good one with a big family like where they all love each other. I know, especially because he's going to die in six months. Shh. Why would you say that to me? It's a fact. Shut your dumb little stupid mouth. 
When they're done, Sirius assures Harry that the vision doesn't mean he's responsible for the attack and he has nothing to worry about. And later in the morning, Tonks and Moody show up to escort the group to the hospital. They, so this hospital, right, is an abandoned department store. Whatever. Like, that's a good front. Sure. But then Tonks walks up and talks to this decrepit, like, post-apocalyptic mannequin that's, like, standing in the window and tells the mannequin that they are here to see Arthur Weasley. And this creepy ass mannequin moves, like, beckons them forward with its finger, like, just like his little finger. That's nightmare fuel. Are you fuel. kidding me? That's scary. That's so scary. Yeah, there's gotta be a better way. There's gotta be. Exactly. And Arthur's actually in really high spirits, spirits, and is reading when they enter. He says he has to keep the bandages because the venom is causing him to, like, continuously bleed when they take him off, when they take him off. Um, and... Um, they take a walk for a little bit to leave the room so Moody and Tox can talk to Molly and Arthur, and they use the extendable ears to overhear that they think the snake was there, almost as like a patrol. Um, they're scouting for something, and they haven't been able to find it in the building. They also mention that Harry saw the vision from inside Voldemort's snake and that he might be possessed by Voldemort. So, although Harry was trying to keep that to himself, now all they're of the kids know out. because they just kind of, always in this time, and they turn to like, what? Uh, okay. <laughs> yeah. So before we move on to chapter 23, I want to talk a little about the portraits because the Hogwarts portraits play a pretty big role, like, specifically of the headmasters, especially in this chapter, and in the future they will too. Um, so the Hogwarts portraits, they appear as regular paintings that can move, but they can send messages, guard certain areas, give counsel to the current headmaster or headmistress. So they mention how the portraits of the headmasters are duty-bound to serve the current headmaster. Um, and the history of these portraits is that they have long been enchanted by wizard wizarding painters to imitate their visage's general behavior and repeat their favorite phrases. Portraits of the heads of Hogwarts know much more about their subject due to the heads taking time to teach them before they move on. And magical moving photographs can also be made by developing them in a special potion. So yeah, just thought that was cool. Because like the portraits too, you're like, is it like an extension of them or is it like a little piece of them? But yeah, so they the portraits, they like teach them about themselves, I guess. So if you like painted a portrait of you and then you never taught it anything, would your portrait just be mute and then not be like you at all? Like what? You know? Yeah, I guess if you just didn't talk to it a lot, it would still be like you, sound like you, but it might not have as much knowledge as you. Or, like, as much as your, like, personality. Yeah. It'd like be more of, like, an outline of you. Yeah. Okay. I guess that would make sense. Because that's when I said, I was like, where's the line? Like, how, you know? I don't know. But it's kind of cool. Like, they make a little mini-me. And it they're like, when I'm cool. dead, this little guy will serve you. So. Yeah. That would be nice. Um, chapter 23... They're back at the Order of the Phoenix headquarters in Grimaud Place, and Harry has this, like, realization where he's like, oh my god, what if I'm the weapon? This is why the Order has guards all around me. Like, I'm the one that attacked Mr. Weasley. So he's like, I'm just gonna run away, because clearly this was the best idea. <laughs> and the one he consistently has. Yeah. Um, and he's like, yeah, I've just gotta get out of danger, I gotta go back to Privet Drive. That's what makes the most sense. And as he's packing his trunk, 
Phineas Nigellus appears in his portrait, and he starts talking some smack. He's, like, running away, and then basically goes on this ramble that Harry shouldn't have been in Gryffindor if he's gonna be such a coward, and he, like, gives him sass. He's like, oh, you're so noble for making this decision on your own. And then, he, the reason why he's here is he delivers a message for, given to him from Dumbledore that explicitly says, like, Harry, don't go anywhere. Stay where you are. And of course, Harry is mad that Dumbledore still, like, won't talk to him directly, and he, um, starts to go on a rant, and then Phineas is young people thinking they're always right is why I hated being a teacher. He's so funny. I love him, he actually. He truly was. He, he pretty much berates Harry for being a child. Yeah. He's like, are you stupid? You stupid little baby boy. It's so funny. And then Phineas leaves the picture frame saying that he has better things to do. You live in a painting. What the fuck else are you doing? <laughs> going to his other painting where Harry's not. (laughs) Like the hell? But Harry just stays in his room. He doesn't want to leave. And Hermione arrives the next day demanding to talk to Harry. And it turns out that Hermione didn't like skiing, which was the vacation that she was on over winter break with her parents. But she tells Harry, like, don't tell Ron this because I already told him how great it was to get him to stop laughing about it because he thinks that the concept of skiing is dumb, which I thought was funny. Mm Mm-hmm. And then Ginny and Ron join them, and Ginny points out that she's the only one who knows what it feels like to be possessed by Voldemort, which is such a valid point. Like, Harry really let the, his angst get the better of him and didn't even think about He's talking not, to someone who's experienced Nobody understands this. me. Yes, actually, someone, someone does. Someone does. If you could get your head out of your ass and look, you know? So good for Ginny for, like, standing up for herself. So she tries to help him, and he's she's like, have you had any big blanks of memory, things that you can't recall? And he's like, no. And she's like, okay, then you're not being possessed. <laughs> because when I was possessed, there were just all these big spans of me not remembering things. And Harry brings up the dream, and he's like, but it keeps happening all the time. And Hermione brings up two points. First, that Harry has had these dreams before. And second, that no one can make you apparate or disapparate from Hogwarts. And then she has a great quote, and she's like, one day you'll read Hogwarts history. No, they won't. But still, this is what I said. Like Hermione, she stays reminding them every single book. Hermione's playing chess. They're all playing checkers. Like Harry, stop being dumb. Have you read the last four books? Come on. But Harry, of course, is relieved, and he finally starts joining in on the Christmas festivities. He gets a joint present from Remus and Sirius, um, some Defense Against the Dark Art books, which is so gay and married husbands of them. Hermione before, has. Wait, before you move on, I just need to read you the exact quote from my notes. Oh, okay. It says, I know you're going to point it out, so I'm ju- I'm gonna say that Remus and Sirius get Harry a joint Xmas gift of a set of books. There you go. Well, I'm glad that you... I, I, I looked at this and she's like, I just, I know Daya's gonna really eat this up. Daya's just gonna eat that up. Because that's... Your Honor, that's gay. I know. <laughs> Your Honor, that's gay. No, I know. It's just the fact that I read, I'm like, oh yeah, Daya's gonna eat that line up. <laughs> you know me so well, babe. Yeah, you're welcome. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Uh, but Hermione has a quilt to give to Creature as a gift, but when they're trying to find him, they realize, damn, we actually haven't seen him in a while. And they go into his room, and inside there's, like, this giant portrait of Bellatrix, so that's suspicious, you know? <laughs> that's weird. It's his, it's his prized possession. And then I have to read a quote from the book now, because Christmas in the Wizarding World makes no sense to me. I've mentioned it before, I'm never gonna let it go, but this just really killed me. I'm not the weapon after all, thought Harry. His heart swelled with happiness and relief, and he even felt like joining in as he heard Sirius tramping past their door towards Buckbeak's room, singing God Rest Ye Merry Hippogriffs at the top of his voice. Madison, why do wizards have magic-infused Christmas carols? 
don't they think everything about the muggle world is dumb? But no, no. The Christmas holiday about, about Jesus, the son of God, that one they'll take. Well, that's because Santa's definitely a wizard. They're celebrating Christmas because Santa is most definitely 100% or was 100% a wizard. Right. I'm with you on that. So they're like, look at this fat man in a red suit, this fat little wizard who convinced all these muggles that it's perfectly normal. See, but what's killing me is that God rest you married gentleman is already a muggle Christmas carol. Right, yeah. God rest, why, why? Maybe the hippogriff one came first. <laughs> just, and they made it gentlemen for the muggles. The way that your face just snapped <laughs> to like, oh shit. I didn't think about that. <laughs> so I was like, they should just make their own Christmas carols. They don't get a, like, it's, but maybe, you know they, what, yeah, maybe they made theirs first and then they adapted it to be muggle, muggle proof, I guess. I don't know. My brain just exploded. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But anyways, they all go to St. Mungo's to visit Arthur, and they ask, and he, Arthur, asks if they've seen someone that, like, they've never heard of, and Mrs. Weasley's like, no, why are you asking? And he's like, nothing, nothing, which means it's definitely something that's also suspicious. <laughs> and she inspects his bandages, and she notices that they're different, and Arthur explains that someone named Pi at the hospital gave him stitches, and Mrs. Weasley freaks the fuck out because it's like a muggle thing. It's not a wizarding yeah. remedy. And as the kids are leaving, they hear Molly say, it sounds like you're trying to sew your skin back together. And then as they get a little bit further down the hall, they then hear her yell, what do you mean that's the general idea? <laughs> it's so fucking funny. <laughs> because, yeah, it sounds ridiculous when you put it like that. Yeah. Um, But down the hall, the group sees a guy with wavy blonde hair, bright blue eyes, and like, dazzling smile and lo and behold it's Gilderoy Lockhart he's back and he comes out he's like do you guys want my autograph and they're like no and they have to remind him like you were a teacher at our school but he doesn't want to seem dumb so he's like oh yeah 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 of course I was and I bet I was your favorite too um and then his nurse walks by and she tells them like oh yeah he's in our long-term ward aka there's not a lot of hope for him but he's making some progress And then they overhear a different nurse talking to Neville and his grandma. And they are visiting Neville's parents, Frank and Alice Longbottom, who, as we know, were tortured into insanity by Bellatrix Lestrange. And Harry also knows this, but no one else knows this. And Neville is very embarrassed, but his grandma, you know, says hello, and she knows who they are because Neville's talked about them. And she's shocked that Neville hasn't told them about it because she says he should be proud of what his parents did instead of ashamed. Like, he should be proud that they stood up against Voldemort, they stood up against the Death Eaters, and yeah, they're like, not doing so hot, but at least they were brave enough to, you know, do it. And she explains to Ron and Hermione and them that they were well-respected Aurors who were tortured by Voldemort's followers. And so now the whole group is, like, on the same page. They all know. And Neville's mom, Alice, comes over and gives him an empty gum wrapper. And um, Grandma Longbottom is, like, overly happy. She's like, oh, very nice, dear, you know, which is just kind of sad. And then what's even sadder is that Neville like mumbles, thanks mom, and then his grandma tells him, you know, go throw it out. But Harry notices that he actually slips it into his pocket, so he keeps these as like little gifts from his mom. And my heart breaks every time. I'm like, oh my god. (laughs) And then when the trio leaves, Harry tells them like he already knew, but he was sworn to secrecy by Dumbledore, and he reveals to them that Bellatrix is the one that tortured them to insanity. And that's how the chapter ends. Very happy, clearly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And we're starting off the final chapter of this episode, 
Right before the end of the holidays, Ron and Harry are hanging out playing wizard chess when Molly enters to tell Harry that Professor Snape is waiting for him downstairs. And Harry actually does a double check, like double take, like jump scare. Snape is where? So he goes to the kitchen. Both Snape and Sirius are sitting waiting for him, looking in opposite directions and refuse to look in the same direction. Petty. And Snape informs Harry that Dumbledore wants him to study occlumency this semester, which is the magical defense of the mind to keep Voldemort out, and he will be taught by Snape. Um, as Snape is leaving, he and Sirius get into a little pissing match. Threats are made, but nothing really interesting happens before the tension is broken by the Weasley family entering with a healed Arthur. And they get ready to head back to the school on the night bus. And Sirius slips Harry a package, tells him not to open it yet, but to use it if Snape's, Snape gives him a hard time. That shit pisses me off. Tell him what it is. This mirror, mm-hmm. which we'll find out later is a mirror, is the bane of my existence. Because it single-handedly drives this entire plot forward. If Sirius had just told Harry what it was, if Harry had just remembered that he has it, if mm-hmm. Harry had actually used it... Half of the shit that happened would not have happened. I hate this mirror. <laughs> yep. Honestly, though, like, why why not just tell him? He's right there. Exactly. Just uh-huh. be like, hey, like, don't open it yet, but, like, it's a mirror. We can communicate without Umbridge getting in the way, you know? Like, how quick and simple was that, Sirius? Oh, yeah. my God. And the first day back progresses pretty normally, broken up by a super awkward interaction between Harry and Cho, where he asks her to go to Hogsmeade with him on Valentine's Day, but, like, she's like, oh, you know the Hogsmeade trip is coming up and he's like, oh yeah, so I suppose. And then he thought that she was talking about the Dumbledore's army meeting, but then she says something that he was like, nah, that doesn't make any sense. And then she like gets really flustered and is like running away. And he's like, oh, like the long pause. He's like, do you want to go to Hogsmeade with me on Valentine's day? Yes. You dumb little idiot. So dumb. The thing that kills me about this whole Harry and Cho thing, too, is that Harry has no reason for liking her her other than she's pretty and she plays my favorite sport. Which, looking back, valid. When I was 15, I liked boys, because I was like, he's pretty and he plays my favorite sport. So it's like, I get it, but like at the same time, I'm like, damn, all their interactions make me cringe, because I'm like, at least try to get to know her, maybe? Yeah, they don't really know each other at all. Like, they don't know anything about each other. Like, the entire relationship, I'm like... (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I see you're passionate about this. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Uh, Snape tells Harry it's important to take his lesson seriously since Voldemort is highly gifted at legitimacy, which was our spell of the episode, which allows him to extract feelings and memories from a person's mind. And Harry's like, so mind reading? And Snape's like, don't be stupid. It's different. Um, and sure. normally this magic requires eye contact, but the failed spell that did not kill Harry created a connection that somehow forgoes this necessity. Um, so now because Voldemort... of course it does. Yes, because of course. <laughs> now Voldemort has realized the connection exists based on, like, the little snake vision that Harry saw. Like, for some reason now it's clicked that Voldemort knows that Harry's been in his head and now Voldemort's obviously going to figure out that he can get into Harry's head. So... The lesson goes okay, I guess. That's okay. The bar's on the floor. It it goes, it's pretty trash, actually. The bar is on the floor. Snape keeps getting into Harry's mind, but it does allow Harry to realize the corridor that he's been dreaming of is the one that leads to the Department of Mysteries. So did Harry really make any progress on keeping Snape out? No. But he did have this realization. So it was kind of useful. You win some, you lose some. Yeah. 
And the trio deduce that the weapon Voldemort seeks is, in fact, not Harry, as he made himself believe. Thank God. But is behind this door in the Department of Mysteries. Like, what could it be? Get not a weapon. <laughs> Some, yeah. And Harry's exhausted and decides to just go to bed, and he dreams of, like, maniacal laughter before Ron slaps him awake. <laughs> and then he realized that the laughter was coming from him. So, like, it must have woken them up. So he's, like, super happy. He's, like, figured something out. So, like... What did he figure out? Why is Voldemort so happy? Questions, questions, questions. And that is the end of our content for this episode. Whoop, whoop. And now we have jokes. We do. For the second week in a row, we have an exact 50-50 tie. Yeah. Which we got maybe twice before. Yeah, but it's like consistent now. Now it's like two in a row. Yeah. So either our jokes are have gotten better or they both have gotten so bad that like nobody knows. Our listeners have just become who to choose. In, like se- in, <laughs> like desensitized. That's the word. Yeah. So like I'm not jokes. even. I can't even vote now because both of these are so trash. I know. But you definitely should go vote on our Instagram. Yes, please do. There will be a poll a few days after the episode is posted. So, um, day you want to go first? Yeah. Okay. Okay, I also just want to let you know I'm that. nervous because you, you like, smirked <laughs> at your little joke, so. I think it was funny. Um, I also just want to let you know, um, if you'll remember how your previous joke had an illustration. Yes. Mine also has an illustration. Oh, I love that. So I'll show it to you afterwards, okay? <clears throat> what candy do Death Eaters eat? Um, what? Bella Twix. <laughs> <laughs> And there's a little I drawing like that. that says Bella Twix. Bella Twix. It's a candy wrapper. <laughs> Bella Twix. Cute. I like that one. Thanks. Um, how do wizards make chicken? I always try really hard to try to figure it out, but I can't. <laughs> they petrify it. That's a good one. Yeah. Petrify. Petrify. I like it. Also, just because I know... That this is going to get brought up when this pu- episode is published. Isabella helped me pick the joke. She's going to want credit. She's going to give me shit if I don't give it for her. She helped me pick it. So there you go, Isabella. You I was wondering where that was leading. Yeah. I just had to make sure. <laughs> Anyways, that is all for us this week. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Our next episode, we will be discussing part four four of the order of the phoenix so make sure you tune in for that make sure you guys also follow us online our twitter is at slitherclawrev our instagram is at slitherclawreview and we also have our website um and then if you guys can make sure you leave a rating comment or a review or just tell your friends if you enjoy this podcast all of this helps us immensely and we appreciate it so much until Until next time. time